1: Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA member FDIC.
2: Richard Sarants Strange Planet. Following the truth wherever it leads. Exposing evil and corruption and the secret machinations of powerful elites. Revealing the high strangeness beneath the surface of our supposed reality coming to you from the great white north and his studio beneath the stairs here's richard
1: and welcome to another episode of strange planet thanks for sticking me in your ear on this episode we're going to talk about the intersection between art and the unknown pat benincasa award-winning artist is here to discuss the consciousness of art. Where does art come from? She'll attempt to answer the questions, do artists make their work alone? And where does inspiration really come from? Pat is an artist, art educator, podcaster, who loves to give form to a good idea. She'll use paint, steel, and even words to tell a good story. Her art has received national and international recognition. She's been awarded national percent for art and general services administration art and architecture commissions she hosts fill to capacity a podcast for people too stubborn to quit and too creative not to make a difference pat ben and casa welcome to strange planet how are you
3: well thank you richard i'm i'm just delighted to be here and uh and thank you for the opening i i appreciate it
1: oh my pleasure this is a, a, a wonderful subject uh, for me i um, like so many people a big Paul McCartney fan, and he has talked um, over the years in interviews. He sort of talked about this: how he is not the songwriter; he's more of a uh, an antenna, and then he retransmit. Uh, I, re- I remember one conversation in particular. He was talking about the song "Band on the Run" and how that came to be. It's a huge hit for him in 1974. It's the name of the album, and he said. Um, the song when it came to writing itself he used those words the song when it came to writing in himself which is i mean and that's what we're talking about where where does art come from i mean is it i don't know out there in another dimension and we're just the receivers and we transmit i mean you're an artist where do you think it comes from
3: now if we had about six hours richard (laughs) we could really dig in deep but um, I've, I think any artist, when you make art long enough, you begin to wonder about the, this process, this, this mystery. And it is a mystery. And so, when McCartney says how the idea writes itself, the song writes itself, that seems to me like, yeah. And I, I can only speak for myself as a visual artist. I'm not speaking for other artists, but I can tell you, uh, an example of that in my own work, I'll start a painting. I have an idea. I'm not the kind of artist that can stand in front of a painting and let it rip. I have to research and really uh, develop ideas. So by the time I hit, usually sheet metal, because I like painting on sheet. I use all sorts of crazy materials. But by the time I start the painting, I have an idea, okay? And I start hammering on this painting. And I'm working on it, like day after day for weeks, 10-hour days, painting's not letting me in. And so I keep hammering, and one day or one moment, I make a mark, I slide the paint, I sand, I'm always sanding my paintings, and something goes off, and the painting gives me a glimmer of what it wants to be. And here's the deal. Do I follow or not? And so It's a battle because when you start a a creative project, the idea, you carry it, okay? This idea comes to you, but this work has a life of its own. And when the painting lets me in like that, I yield. I will follow you wherever you take me. Let's go. So it's the painting revealing itself. That's one aspect. And I do believe that there's this huge cosmos of ideas floating around. I do believe this,
1: like the akashic record, or like what Uh, some some call it the akashic record.
3: Uh, You could call it that. Uh, I don't know. I just have always kind of thought of as an idea cosmos. You know that, but it's all about that interconnection. I do believe it's like the um, the Latin phrase, the animus mundi, that which is connected by all and to all. I love that because it redefines creativity for me in that it's what we're receptive to. Those ideas are floating there. And I think those ideas are looking for receptive beings, for receptive people. And so sometimes I'll get a hit in an idea and think, holy Jesus, I, where did that come from? I, I don't even work that way. What is that? you know, as a younger artist, I would question, now I don't. I just, I just let it download me. I, I absorb it as much as I can.
1: I don't want to get too woo-woo-woo-woo here, unless you want to get woo-woo. But I mean, no, do you?
3: I'm not trying to.
1: No, 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 no. What I'm saying is, I, I'm my next question is kind of might be woo-woo. Okay. So, and that is because you. It almost sounds like you're describing an intelligence behind this, a, a a presence. Do you feel like when you're in the throes of creativity that there's there is someone, something, or someone else in the room?
3: no i don't feel it that way okay i i for myself i do not make art by myself i i know that i it's my ancestors who guide me it's my ancestors you know i'm a first generation italian all of my family comes from italy now italy is so small i have this theory that if you go back far enough we crisscross enough we're all cousins okay but that's quite a heritage to go back into Mm -hmm. And I really believe that I'm not by myself. I feel that my ancestors channel through me. Now, are they guiding my hands? Hell no. Are they giving me just like a free pass and I just move at their direction? No, I've usually, you know, eight, 10 hours a day in the studio. The equation is you work and you refine your craft and you put your heart and soul into it. And then they come, they, they are a part of that process. It is a process. So is there a, an intelligence out there? I don't know. God, any way you stuff that bird, it's still a turkey. You know, so uh, is it an intelligence? Or let's flip it. Let's flip that uh, notion of what you're asking, saying what is creativity? It's, is it the ability to listen? I, I believe that creativity is in all of us, not just artists or music. It's in all of us. It's that crazy ass hunch you get when you're working on something that doesn't make a lick of sense, but it opens up a universe of possibility. Well what is that? That's creativity.
1: Right. Right. I've talked to a lot of inventors. I love, I love artists and I love inventors. Um and they always and I think Tesla even talked about this how first you have to you invent it in the dream world and well, then you invent it you know, in the garage or the basement, wherever you happen to be physically. Uh, Do you ever dream your artwork first, a painting or?
3: No, I don't do it that way. But when I hit a brick wall, which is often in my work, I'm hammering away. I'll go to bed on it and I'll say, okay, you guys, you got to help me. I, I don't know what the hell I'm doing. And I go to bed on it and I think about the problem and God, the next day I know what to do. But I trust, I trust that. Here's the here's the bargain I think that creative people make. If the universe gives you the idea, you work hard to develop it. But they sure as hell are going to help you. It's a two way street. I really believe that.
1: Right, right. We
3: don't make art in isolation, is what I'm trying to say.
1: That makes sense. Um- does that speak to kind of a, a collective unconscious conscience that we're a collective unconscious that we're we are tapping into?
3: Well Jung certainly thought that and uh there's so many theories uh, about that. Let let let's flip it. I hope you don't mind me taking your questions no, and flipping no, no. them around. Okay. Uh, Um, because when you ask this question, all of a sudden I'm getting all these. I'm ADD. I can have five thoughts at one time and I'm just chasing like shiny new, new. Okay. I've come back. Okay. (laughs) So, um, in Western culture, we think of time as linear, logical. Yeah. Okay. And I think creativity is multi-dimensional, multi-timed. It's, it's of its it's a whole different time sequence and it's interesting that you you said like do you dream well we in the west have that linear time frame but my question is what is reverie what is recollection what is a daydream what is a dream those are all different uh ways that we go in and out of time so when you think about that and i think about it within you know artists musicians uh, people in whatever walk of life they're in we're all inventors we're tinkerers we we have an idea and we start tinkering with it and examining it and trying to make it work and to do that requires i think the most important ingredient is is play and again in western time you know we spend time You know we we, everything's like doled out weights and measures of what we do except play play is not measured you know play is play and that's when the mind can just embrace ideas and be anything it wants to be
1: fascinating fascinating i was admiring some of your art and uh, people can see for themselves your work at uh triple w dot pat benincasa-art.com and uh, i love the uh, your your industrial oh, okay. uh, cities what, what do you call that in, in, industrial industrial
3: city. paintings on sheet metal yeah, yeah yeah
1: uh that look like uh you, you sort of i think you refer to these as forgotten history uh
3: they're they're demolished <clears throat> excuse me they're demolished work sites okay and so the whole idea of this was I, I kept thinking about place as memory that uh with all of us we these sites are in our collective consciousness and growing up you know you're driving on a freeway you can look you can see like a a broken down factory everybody has an aunt or uncle or knew somebody that worked in a factory at some time at least i'm of that age where that was very real Right. And so those those paintings for me are uh, pulling up that 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 which should be remembered. I yeah. just think they're magnificent work sites.
1: They are they're, There's a haunting quality to them. There's a loneliness, a desolation. Um, but as, but at the same time, as you say, it's it's a, a it, it does instill a sense of place. And people need a sense of place i think that's maybe what's missing in society because we're all over the place and you know we're scattered there's it's like non-locality i mean everyone talks about you know quantum this and quantum that and non-locality but we need locality we need location we need you know we're talking over zoom here and and so forth but um a a sense of place is so important and, and that really comes through your your art the other thing i um i really like you I love maps.
3: Oh, me too.
1: <laughs> I remember as a kid, um, before GPS and all of that, we would take a big family trip and we would, we, we would uh, pack into our, uh, all seven of us into a 1966 Ford meteor and my dad and uncle had made a tent trailer and we would drive north of superior and we would hit every provincial park in Ontario. And my, the, uh, the maps we had back then they were from, uh, they were called brewers retail maps uh, the, uh, the local beer store, you would pick them up at the, the beer store. And my mother was navigator and she would unfurl this map, uh, across the dashboard. And she, and, uh, you know, we would, f- she would trace out the right, the route all the way up to, um, you know, past Thunder Bay and so forth. What is it about maps that, uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's such a part of your, your work. What is it about maps for you?
3: Uh, maps, I, I fell in love with them. It started with my work with sacred geometry. I was building, uh, glass labyrinths, labyrinths out of cut pieces of glass. And when you look at labyrinths and sacred geometry, it's the triangle, mm-hmm. square, and circle. And those, those shapes are older than time. And as I began to study them, I started to look at Roman cities and ancient cities and they, they had a geometry to them and it blew me away and i thought oh my god and i realized it was time to get out of the labyrinth and into the cities and i start breaking down these ancient uh cities with this beautiful geometry sometimes in circles sometimes as spokes yes and as i looked at them and studied them maps one of the things i realized maps will only tell you what the map maker wants you to know Okay? Mm-hmm. if it's a dominant culture and and, a, and a, a, a country invades another country they sure as hell are going to rewrite places of importance in that country okay uh, capitalism you know when you look at maps today uh you know the sites that you will see see sometimes they'll put uh major uh they'll put parks but they'll put industrial sites but as those have kind of faded out maps are now showing us something else so the map maker tells us what to look at much the way history is written when you think dominant culture tells the story and that's why you have history and not her story it's history
1: right right um Do you think one of your aunt was one of your ancestors perhaps a cartographer
3: oh hell they could have been anything (laughs) (laughs) they could have been they could have been
1: how how else do you listen to your ancestors in terms of uh, allowing that to inform your art how do you listen to ancestors
3: wow that's a good that's a really a good question um i'm not psychic i wish i were but i'm not one of those people that can hear them like a radio but um sometimes I'll get a hunch on something and I know it's not mine. Okay? And let me back up. I'm going to tell you how I start my day. Let's go woo woo just for a moment. Okay. Absolutely. So I I do yoga in the morning and i despise exercise of any kind but i do yoga okay i'll just say that and i'm going to fess up right away so i do a yoga routine in the morning and on that part of shavasana i i watch a, a dvd and she says now rest your bones and your body onto the ground and one day when i was doing that i said i rest my muscle and bones onto the ground and then i realized I would. I said to my ancestors, I rest myself, crowd surf me into the day. Take me and crowd surf me in. And every morning I do that. Who's going to come forward today? I need help with this. I I actually say like if whatever I'm working on, I ask who's going to, I have this picture that maybe there's like a couple hundred of them. And they go, oh, God, she has a problem with this. So-and-so, come on, come on, come on forward. She's going to need your help. So-and-so, you. No, no, you don't have to. This is that kind of problem, You know, I think they're there to help and they want to help. I just feel it. I feel when something is not my idea. And instead of saying, whoa, where the hell did that come from? I just say, whoa, thank you. Thank you. And when I'm scared, I do that. When I get, you know, if I'm dealing with something that uh, is really difficult and painful, I say, I can't do this alone. You guys, please help me. This is bigger than I am and isn't that art making isn't that creative impulse to do something bigger than us
1: right right isn't
3: that impulse to connect and tell story
1: right yeah it doesn't have to just be a painting or a sculpture or something in three dimensions we uh we strive to make our our, our lives works of art i guess
3: yeah yeah i was joking with somebody one day uh i said yeah i'm an artist and my life is my canvas and i thought to myself i always had this conversation like, whoa where the hell did that come from What did you just say and so i hear myself doing that but it comes from uh when i went to art schools in in you know studying art in college and graduate school there was this work ethic that said everything you are and do is measured by what you produce in the studio everything else is irrelevant i mean it was drilled you know you have to be in the studio you have to make art and that's your worth and it took me many years to let go of that and so when that came out of my mouth i realized okay message received thank you that creative we're all creative but when we compartmentalize it like i can only be creative let's say in my work life or i can only be creative here or there god what a way to box yourself in but if we're creative beings, which we are, we're creative all the time, all the time.
1: 100%. Pat, we'll take a quick out, come back, and uh, continue to talk about the intersection between art and the unknown.
0: This episode is brought to you by Saks.com. At Saks.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com.
1: Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop.
2: This is Richard Sarrett's Strange Planet. We're back with Pat
1: Benincasa,
2: artist, art
1: educator, podcaster. Tell us about uh, the podcast. How do we listen?
3: Well, I do that podcast, as you mentioned, filled to capacity, and it's available on uh, Apple, Spotify, all the, the platforms. And I'm always on the lookout for good stories. I, I just want to hear what people are doing uh, what they're putting into the world. And God knows this this world really needs it. Um, so, uh, I think one of my early ones was of a woman that survived a plane crash, woke up in the ER and heard a voice in her head say, this is not the end of your old life. This is the beginning of a new rich life. Now, Richard, how the hell can I not talk to somebody like that? Exactly. Exactly. You know, And so I've interviewed writers, uh, I've I've, uh, talked to people about near-death experience, so I'm just looking for uh, stories of what people go through. How do they get from point A to point B when life throws everything at them? I've talked to people who've gone through uh, incredible medical trials with their their joy intact. I want to know how they do that. I want to be that. I want to be like that. (laughs) Uh,
1: You were talking earlier about um, sometimes your ancestors leave you clues. Mm -hmm. uh, Like breadcrumbs, right? Hansel and Gretel breadcrumbs. Can you give me an example? um, Anything come to mind where you were maybe stuck, you were working on a piece, you were stuck, and they left you some breadcrumbs?
3: so i was talking about that creative process that when when you're really lost and you're you're trying to figure out what to do um two things can happen one you can either shut down and feel shame and embarrassed or think god why can't i get this and then you kind of implode on yourself which i don't like doing you know i did enough of that as a younger artist i like plan b where you you realize that what you're thinking or doing it's not fitting it's not working and so immediately it's like the antenna go out and just an awareness and so um one example was uh i got a commission to do a skylight for the minnesota minnesota judicial center on the state capitol grounds it was a percent for arts competition and I had just been working in glass for a year. I was a painter and I started experimenting in glass and I went after this competition thinking, Oh, that'll accelerate my learning curve. <laughs> yeah. Well, long story short, I won. And so now I had to come up with these ideas and I realized that if I was going to, if I was going to do something to win this competition, I couldn't do a, I couldn't do a flat skylight. Okay. I don't like flat windows, and I sure as hell don't like flat skylights. I have a think about it. You know, Windows like the earth were once thought to be flat. Okay, just leave that out there. So uh, I designed a three-dimensional skylight. And as I was working, I built a six-foot by seven-foot birch replica of the, the, the site to which, where it was going to go. Okay. Because I found out that on the committee, the architect already had somebody he wanted to do the project. Someone who was really good at judicial center skylights, but his were always flat. And I was going through a divorce. My life couldn't have been worse. And I thought, if I'm going to go for this, I'm going to go for broke. So I cleaned out my, my savings, built this birch plywood. So one day in the studio, I had all this glass lying around, like leaning against the wall, art glass, like tinted color glass textured i saw two pieces overlapping and it knocked the wind right out of me i thought oh gee oh my god i will do glass overlays so when the sun travels east to west it'll be the light from the sun that will mix those colors that's all i have to do all i have to do is put those three-dimensional glass forms in place and then the atmosphere will do everything now How the hell would I get an idea like that? I'm sorry, okay? And the whole piece is almost pure geometry. And I went to Catholic school and I got D minus in geometry because the nun felt sorry for me, okay? So, you know, these ideas of these geometric constructs, where did they come from? What I mean, how did I even know to do that? Sometimes I look at this piece, I go back to that building thing, Jesus, who did that, (laughs) you know? (laughs) Is this real? So something like that. Now, had I been frustrated, I might not even looked at those glass overlays, the way they were casting uh, refle- reflection on each other. That's Amazing. what I'm talking about.
1: Amazing. Yes, there is a picture of that uh, on your uh, website, patbenincasa-art.com. Yeah. It, uh, it is beautiful. That must be a heck of a thing to clean, though.
3: Well, I designed it in such a way that it's open and um, there's a catwalk on top, by the way. And so when we built it, uh, I had to laminate each 614 pieces of glass had to be laminated. Okay. And uh, 3M is here. It's down the street from us. And I called them and said, would you like to laminate a three-dimensional skylight? And they go, huh? And long story short, they gave us the laminate to to uh so i had to build a six foot oven hot plate we had to warm up the glass wash the the glass put the laminate on squeegee it on both sides 614 pieces but you know it worked out because if someone dropped a tool above it's like a car windshield you don't oh my god you don't want shards of glass coming down
1: right
3: right is and that too much shop talk richard no I mean,
1: no 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 <laughs> and, and god willing that that skylight will be there for 150 years maybe longer maybe you know how does that make you feel i mean that's that that's immortality in, in a way
3: you know as an artist you put your work out there okay and i'm i'm really moved when my work has an effect on somebody that to me is the price of admission right there if this piece is to last, I would be really, really happy. I'd be thrilled. Um, you know, everything is so impermanent. Uh, I did a three-dimensional chapel window that actually punches out in real space. It, you know, the window is 34 glass pieces, art glass, and it actually it goes out away from the building. Again, I don't like flat windows and the notion of this for a chapel It's called Redemption Window, and it's a 10-foot glass cross on limestone boulders. And uh, that whole project came about because I had been working on two-sided windows for months, all through the 90s. I thought, why would a window have to look the same on the outside as it is on the inside? Now, why? I mean, really, And architects will do beautiful things with facade, stone, metal, but nobody ever touches the window. Makes me crazy so this window actually goes out because i i don't like the idea that you have to go to a place to find the sacred you have to go to sacred places to find sacred i think bullshit. the sacred is is in us we carry that in us so the whole point of the window is that it goes out in real space and at night when it lights up it's like looking at an aquarium the light spills out of the building and then the president of the school where this chapel is, he called me after it was done. He said, we got a problem. I said, what? What could be the problem? He said, people want to get married in front of it. We People are wanting to come in, have, you know, to have ceremony. And I thought, my God, it doesn't get any better than that. Nothing can top that.
1: We'll take a quick time out. Pat Casa. The Intersection of Art and the Unknown. Stay with us.
2: Truth will set you free, free, free. But first, it will really tick you off. Welcome back to Richard Serrett's Strange Planet.
1: Artist, art educator, Pat Benincasa is here. Pat Benenkasa-art.com. Check out her uh, podcast as well. Fill to Capacity, wherever you find your podcasts. Um, what, what makes art timeless?
3: I think that's a great question. I think that when you look at a work of art, and let me answer it a different way. You're you, you, know, you're going to a museum, and all of a sudden you see a painting that was done maybe 300 years ago, and it's, you stop dead in your tracks, and it's like somebody just clutched your heart, and you so identify with it, and it doesn't matter that it was done 300 or 200 or 50 years ago it speaks to the very core of you that is timeless a work of art that can cross nations borders gender uh you name it when it crosses all those constructs all those social constructs and speaks soul to soul heart to heart i think for me that is the definition of timeless
1: uh for me it's starry night vincent van gogh i've got one hanging a print obviously (laughs) just uh around the corner from the studio um what which one which one is it for you that speaks to you so powerfully
3: oh that's like asking a mother talk about your favorite child okay so okay um i would have to say um the first time that happened to me uh, I was 12 years old, and I I rode my bike to uh, Hudson's department store in Detroit. And on the top floor, they had a bookstore. And I opened a book called Western Painting. Now, no one in my family ever talked about art. I went to Catholic school. They didn't talk about art, but I went right to this book. I opened it, and I saw Giotto's painting of St. Francis. Now, Giotto uh, is around 13th century. And up until then, you have these icons, these Madonna icons in gold, and they're, they're just stunningly beautiful. And all of a sudden, this guy makes a painting of St. Francis. And when I saw that, the tenderness in the expression on the face, the colors, the palette, it was like it was so familiar to me, so intimate. I felt like I was looking at a book of family history. And I gasped. I mean, I, as a a 12-year-old, I didn't know what the hell I was looking at. All I knew, short of having a seraphim uh, opening up the sky and spilling out and hearing the hallelujah chorus, it just riveted me. And I thought, I I was so, what is this? What is this? What? And the the beauty and the tenderness. And to this day, I have images of Giotto's paintings all over the house. Because I still look at it and I think, you son of a how did you do that? How did you know to put that there? How did you know to make expressions so tender? How did you know to use contemporary clothing of the time? That was radical. It was taking a frozen notion of, of what painting is, and he made it intimate. He made it communal. He made it a marvelous story. You know like I don't know if you ever had older relatives say hey, th- let me tell you about the time this happened with your uncle so in, and, and you go oh yeah tell me it was a story and um that was my first time just it was breathtaking
1: and he, and have you have you I know you said how you know how did you do that have, have you reflected on that i mean do you have any answers as, as to not just Giotto, and that particular painting, but with Van Gogh and and Starry Night or whatever. If someone hears a it could be a piece of music, it could be a concerto by uh, Bach. But what are they? I guess we've been talking about this, really, but what they're tapping into to be able to to create something like that, that that reaches out through time to people and has such an incredible impact.
3: I often wonder I don't have answers for you I just have tons of questions as I get older I ask more questions but one word keeps coming back to me uh, surrender in the creative process you can either force a piece like ah oh, this is what I want to make this is what I'm gonna do and this is how it's gonna look uh-uh it's never about that you jump start the idea but if you surrender to the painting you allow it to guide you or the piece of music to guide you i think surrender is connected to timelessness because it taps you know you were asking earlier about the collective unconscious is that a piece of it is that a piece of what makes something so beautiful or when you're driving and you look in your rearview mirror and you see this gorgeous sunset sometimes i've wanted to burst into tears it is so moving how many sunsets have we seen in our lifetime but you turn your head and you look and it's like as if the sky painted something so new and so old there's a quality of time bending i think in timeless it is so old and new simultaneously it's pure contradiction and that's what i love about art it's so freaking contradictive.
1: <laughs> Fascinating. Just getting back to the podcast for a minute. How do you, um, I understand you have kind of a unique way of preparing for an interview.
3: Oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> All right. So there's, there's an occupational hazard to be, being an artist. And that is, you got to make art about everything. Okay. That's just the way it rolls. So when I, people were saying, you ought to do a podcast. I thought, what the hell do I know about a podcast? I'm just an art, I'm an artist. You know, my, I know my studio. And so I thought, okay. Also, I love to teach. And I stopped teaching full time and I missed that. So it was like a perfect storm. So I started podcasting. And as I was researching people, I realized I, I, I spend weeks researching somebody. I read their books, whatever it is about them. I get photos and I realized I started making an, uh, a, a graphic, a poster about their life. So what happened was once I make that poster about somebody's life, I know what to ask them. I know what to do. So if you go to my website and you click fill to capacity, you'll see an image of everybody that I have, um, interviewed. And what you'll find is, You'll see a graphic, um, announcing them who I, who I've, you know, interviewed. But if you click on it at the very end, you'll see a poster devoted to their life and their life work. So I have to make art about these people. Then I know what to do with them. But if I don't do that and I just rely on, you know, how much can you trust words here? Really, Richard? For me, it's, it's the image. It's the visual. It's the painted word, you know?
1: Right, right. Well, language is so inadequate, really, as a technology when you think about it.
3: Yeah. So I make I, I do a graphic image of someone's life and their work, and then I know them. I know them.
1: That's amazing. I'm just looking one here at one here, um, Dr. Scott Taylor.
3: Oh yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Talking about uh, shared death experiences.
3: Yep, yep. And with with Scott, um, his. His graphic on top is different. If you go down to the poster, you're going to see curling. Yes. Okay. The guy's a curling junkie. He loves curling. And so when I found that out about him, how am I not going to put that into his poster? I know he does the near death. He's an expert on near death experiences, but there's something so wonderfully vulnerable and human about the guy. And I love that he loves curling and he, he curled at, uh, he's from Minnesota. And not far from me is the Selby Street Curling Club where he worked. Now, come on, that these gifts of serendipity. Now, how can I not put that on there? So it's a way that the images give me nonverbal information. It's a way of knowing. And I guess we ask ourselves, when you talk about creativity, how willing am I to suspend linear knowing? How willing am I to embrace the mystery? And that's scary for me. I want to control everything. You know, artists are very controlling. We make little universes in our artwork. You can't find more control freaks. That's what we do. But, but the beauty and the power is in the mystery. It's in contradiction. It's the things that don't add up that just open multiverses of possibility i want to be like emily dickinson i want to dwell in possibility
1: do you ever get lost in a painting
3: oh hell yes i get so lost and what that means for me is that again as a younger artist i'd say oh what's wrong with me why can't i figure this out you know it's all ego when you're young you want to you know make these paintings but as i've grown okay let me just back up for a minute People think that if you're talented, you just go to the studio and produce. And when I was teaching art, I'd tell kids, hell no, you got to grow into your talent. You grow into the talent. So when you are lost, when I'm lost, uh, I've learned now, step away. Step away from it. Go do something. Go read. Sometimes emotionally, I'm not at a place where the painting is showing me. You know, when they talk about a writer's block or creative block, you know, kids with students would freak out about that. And I'd say instead of thinking of it as a block, maybe think of it you're being downloaded with so much information that your your emotional self has not caught up to it. Chill. Give yourself time to absorb it. It's okay. Your Your talented self can handle it. Think about it that way. So when I hit blocks like that, and they've kicked my ass from here to the next zip code, I tell you what. I leave humbled from the studio. Sometimes I'll stop and just start cleaning the studio or I'll curse. I like cursing a lot, but that's why artists have studios. You can do whatever you want in that studio and you do it in private. You never grow up in public, you know? (laughs)
1: Um, We've been talking about the intersection of art and um, the unknown. There's also the intersection of art and commerce, and uh, I'm going to make another sort of reference to the Beatles here because uh, yeah. I love the Beatles and Me they too. were such wonderful tunesmiths. But they also had to produce, right? They were under such pressure, and I remember a conversation. Um, uh, again, it was McCartney and uh, John Lennon talking about how they they had they were under such pressure they had to they had to write an entire compose an entire album like 12 15 tracks in yeah. a short period of time and they would uh, they would write a song and um sometimes they came so easily and they would say well that's a swimming pool you know when they were first starting out and they were enjoying the fame and the money you know they would wrote us they'd write a song oh well, that's a swimming pool and we just wrote another one you know that's a brand new car mm-hmm. uh, i mean that, to me, I mean, I mean, I enjoy the music, but it almost taints, it almost taints hearing them say that, kind of taints the, the. what am I trying to say here? It, I don't know, it doesn't sit well with me to hear that song was a swimming pool to you, but to me, you know, or someone else, that may have changed their life.
3: But why are they opposed to each other, Richard? Why do they have to be the notion? So for example, in art school you're taught You got to starve for your art and don't sell out well these were professors making top dollar having uh, health insurance telling young people like me i think yeah yeah and then all of a sudden as i think wait a minute okay so this notion that somehow art has to be pure and outside of commerce i hate the commodification of art in the art world i despise it okay? okay there are parts of that that i just you know, it's big business. Collectors collect, they donate to museums. The museums start collecting that artist and it, it, it's, you know, the, it's the way of the world. Okay, that goes on. Let's go back to what you're saying. So for them, it was the swimming pool or the car, but they grew up in poverty. They were working class. True, true. So I I want to, I don't think that art has to be separate from childhood trauma or the way you grew up even if you were wealthy and you you had this aspiration you put your work out there and all the lives it touches oh my god so for them at that time they were measuring success you know that was the 60s everything was about success you know the good life uh advertise everything you know being on top of your game and so it it was like the zeitgeist and it's always there. But these kids, and they were kids at the time, sure. they were kicking out music that to this day just, whoa, talk about connecting soul to soul.
1: Right, right. But
3: the fact I don't care if they got 50 swimming pools, I don't care. But look at their look at how hard they worked at their craft. Look at what they did and how hard they worked at it.
1: Right. No, I certainly don't begrudge them the money. I mean, I I I'm, I love free enterprise and I love I love commerce. But I guess uh, it's like for they were dismissing their own work uh, as a you know this is a swimming pool to them. But yep. to me, it meant so much, and to other people, it meant so much. Um, maybe you know I don't begrudge them the money. Maybe I just prefer I hadn't heard that conversation. <laughs>
3: Let me ask you this: I'll tell you as an artist. If someone said to me, my God, this painting is magnificent. It moves my soul. Right. Or the um, the uh, redemption window that people want to get married, and I still get emails about it. Okay, if I went into every piece saying I've got to make a piece now that will move souls, jeez, I'd freeze up. And maybe that gave them a room to play. If they pretended like, well, it's the swimming pool. It took that pressure off as opposed to someone saying, okay, you guys, you got to write another seminal hit that will live, be timeless that other artists will record. Well, I don't know about you, but that would, that would really intimidate me.
1: Excellent point there. You talked me off the ledge, Pat. Thank you.
3: Oh, good. Oh, good. <laughs> also, Richard, you're hitting a key point about uh, uh, people who make art and music. You have to know yourself. So, for example, as a young artist, I was told, if you don't live in New York and you're not in a museum by 40, you're a washout and your work doesn't matter. Now, if I bought it, and you should be male, too, but at that time you're supposed to be male. But, hey, the cards I was given, they ain't going to work. So, coming back, the whole idea of knowing yourself, I went to New York several times to see shows, but I knew in my heart of hearts, I couldn't live in New York and make art. I'm not made that way. I, I'm i wound up tighter than a thoroughbred. I'd be a nervous wreck. That kind of competition. And I made peace with myself. Okay, you can't do that. Find a place. I went, uh, after graduate school, I moved to Minneapolis. It was a wonderful place. Midwest was wide open, museums, cheap studios. Okay, you have to know what you are and what um, how you can keep your feet on the ground. The other thing I knew, I did not want to make work that I had to live off of. And I ended up teaching, and I loved teaching art. I loved it. What I did in the studio, I did in the classroom. And so I took that pressure off my art. And I was always able to follow the idea. I didn't give a rip. Am I going to sell it or not? I always followed the idea. And bless those people who can live off their paintings or their music. I think that is really gutsy. I can't do that. I'm not made that way.
1: Excellent points. Wow. I learned a lot, Pat. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Well, thank you. It's great hanging, hanging out with you, Pat Ben And again, the website, patbenincasa-art.com. The link is in the episode notes. And uh, don't forget the podcast, Fill to Capacity Available, wherever Pat podcasts are available. Pat, thanks again.
3: Richard, it's an honor to be on your show. Thank you so much. Great conversation. Take care. Bye bye. Bye. A
2: new Richard Sarrett's Strange Planet drops every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Subscribe at StrangePlanetPodcast.com.